Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of The Writer's Panel. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Here's a little bonus episode for you, uh, hot on the heels of last week's conversation with comic book writer Jerry Duggan. We've got uh, the recording from the panel that I moderated at Comic-Con this year down at San Diego. Um, The folks from Dark Horse were kind enough to bring me down um, invited by Pat Oswalt and Jordan Bloom, whose no, new book, Minor Threats, is so good. Um, it's been, I feel like it's been a while since I read a book that excited me. And I'm, I'm a fan of everyone on this panel and talking to them reminded me why I love their work so much. So you'll hear me introduce them on the podcast, but I, I genuinely urge you all to go and pick up their books. They're really good. Um, Takes on superhero stuff. Um, If that's not your scene, um, you can find other stuff by them that is not superhero stuff. Uh, So go and check that out. Uh, Check out the work of everyone on the panel today. Um, If you are interested, I put up a video of this panel also over on my Substack. Go to benblacker.substack.com where you can watch that. Um, And and while you're there, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. Um, The podcast and the newsletter are work, you know, and uh, I, I think my time has some value. If you think so, too, if this podcast is worth anything to you, then please, uh, Become a paid subscriber on the Substack, where you will also get access to our monthly live Zoom Q&As with professional writers. Uh, we've got a couple of great ones coming up, including an episode with, uh, I'm sorry, including a, a Q&A with Jenny Klein, uh, who I met way back on Supernatural when she was a writer's assistant, and she is now a big shot showrunner. It's very exciting, and she's a great writer and a great person. Next month, we've got the Tick creator, Ben Edland. Uh, who is also a pal from back on Supernatural. Um, And we've got even more good folks coming up. You know, we're looking at a year of the newsletter now, and I think it's been worthwhile. Um, Go go dip into the archives. Find something that interests you. Uh, There's a lot of good craft stuff, I I think, and uh, some stuff on the business as well that you may find valuable. Once again, that's benblacker.substack.com. Thanks for checking it out, and as always, thanks for listening. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah! First off, the creators of The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos, James Tynan and Tate Brummel. Yeah, let him hear it. Tate is also writing uh, Barbalian Red Planet, which is coming up, which is part of the Black Hammer universe created by Jeff Lemire. And finally, the minds behind the Minor Threats universe, artist Scott Hepburn, Jordan Bloom, and Patton Oswalt. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Um, I want to kick us off and talk about superheroes and supervillains. All of you have created, uh, whether it is you know the books that we are specifically talking about today or elsewhere, these sort of uh, reimaginings and reversions of you know tropes and characters that we grew up knowing and loving. And I just want to kind of go down the line and starting with James here and and talk about as you are creating your new universe. And we can talk specifically about Christopher Chaos. What are the tropes that you loved growing up in comic books, the stuff you couldn't wait to get your hands on, and then how did you decide to play with those tropes in your new books? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I, I'm very good at this. You are very, very good. Thank you very much. Um, so, I mean, the like I entered into like I'd been doing creator owned comics for for a while, but uh, my you know main gig for about ten years was doing you know. Uh, DC superhero comics, and uh, so the at first when I was going into the creator-owned space, I was very much like trying to run as far away from a lot of those tropes as possible. But the tropes just kept rubbing off on me. Um, 
And, you know, I'll get to, to Christopher Chaos in a second, but it started with uh, Something is Killing the Children, which when in its original inception had uh, did not have that kind of, like, uh, core iconic design of Erica Slaughter with the mask and everything like that, where uh, that just changed the entire dynamic of the book. The second uh, Verther uh, Deledra showed me that design, where it's just like, oh, no, 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 this is... Uh, an action horror comic with a, a character in a costume right at the center of it. And in building the world of Christopher Chaos, it's those key images that always stayed, stay with me. It's, you know, uh, people, people point to it in like even in anime uh, and manga all the time where it's just like you can always tell who the protagonist in an anime is because they're the character in the back of the room with like giant red hair sticking out in 12 places. And it's just like comics are a visual medium you want characters that are just like that pop off the page that exist uh like the second you see them you're just like oh that's interesting i want to know more about that person their very look like kind of defines what they do uh so in building uh christopher chaos we wanted to create this cast of you know uh queer monster like superhero adjacent kind of characters and uh that was like in the center of it was just like making characters that you saw their images and just wanted to know more about them. Yeah, and jumping off of that, I think we really, uh, an early conversation I had with James when we were first developing it, uh, Christopher Chaos, it was really nailing the iconography. We spent a lot of time with Nick Robles, who did the character designs, and finding, even though it's not a superhero book, we wanted to hit that audience. Uh, but make it our own um, and bring it more into like the, bring the horror elements and also pull from horror tropes. Um, so especially you see it with Christopher, um, where he just is a um, just a flashing billboard for our comic book. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where um, we just really wanted to nail the iconography. Um, I think that's one of the largest superhero kind of tropes we pulled from. You see, it, like Superman's uh, shield is iconic. Um, we gave Christopher a shield of his own. Um, and then me personally, the tropes I really pulled from is I was like, since I was a kid, I was always an X-Men kid. So I was always drawn to the outsiders um, and those superheroes that um, even though they don't fit in, they still want to make the world a better place and like find their place in the world. So we really pulled from that for this book. Um, and in many ways, it's a sleeper X-Men comic, <laughs> which I love. <laughs> Um, Jeff, let's talk specifically about the Black Hammer universe. Again, you're drawing on characters we know and love, tropes we know and love. What was the stuff that you couldn't wait to get your hands on and do your version of? Um, well, I mean, when I first got into comics, I was uh, doing mostly independent work that I would write and draw myself, and it was kind of as far from the mainstream superhero stuff as you could get, you know? And back then... I kind of just thought that's all I would do, that I'd never actually get a chance to to do Marvel or DC stuff, you know? And I kind of came up with... But I also love that stuff, you know? I, I love... I, I love, grew up, especially on DC Comics, and I really had a deep affection for it, and I kind of love the history of comics, superhero comics, and so I kind of... From the... Came out of a place of like, well, I'll never get to do these characters for real, but how would I do them if I could filter them through that sort of my Essex County indie sensibility, you know? And that's how I approached the Black Hammer, sort of the original incarnation of it. But then, ironically, of course, I did end up working for DC and Marvel for like a decade. Uh, and then I kind of got out of doing that. And so I was kind of, I had this original idea, but then I came at it as someone who had. <laughs> kind of done it and got burnt out on it and sort of came at superheroes again from a different place. So yeah, what, so those... when you go work on DC properties after that, like, you've done your versions of them, which have to be, like, the most from-you versions of them, too. Yeah. So how do you then approach doing DC properties? Well, I mean, I don't do a lot anymore. Right. That's probably the answer. <laughs> but uh, I still, You used it all up. I still, you know, I just did a Swamp Thing book and a, a Robin book last year. So I still do get a kick out of those characters, and you can kind of just embrace them for what they are. Yeah. And maybe even more so now that I've kind of done my own kind of thing, I feel less self-conscious, <laughs> less trying to put myself into it, you know, and I can just kind of celebrate those characters for what they are. But That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you can play with them as icons. Um, yeah. Scott, we're going to skip over you for a minute. Yeah, of course. Uh, we're going to talk about... I want to talk about the designs when we put up the art. But for now, let's talk about minor threats. Um, and, and Jordan and, and Patton, starting with like just the characters you loved 
and then creating this universe out of your versions of these kinds of tropes? I think, uh, you know, for me, uh, reading those who's who's and Marvel handbooks, there was always those characters that maybe appeared once or twice in a Bronze Age comic as as a villain of the week and in some kind of crazy costume. And it was always a question in the back of my mind of like how... What led them to choose putting on a zebra costume and robbing banks, and and how do you sustain that life? And and then trying to apply kind of um, I'm a big fan of crime fiction and noir, so grounding it in that genre and those tropes and kind of marrying them with superheroes. I think there's a lot of superhero deconstruction that is a little cynical, and I think what we wanted to do is we love the silly, crazy stuff in comics is embrace it and and do a love letter to it. Yeah, and and I think, you know, you're talking about tropes. Uh, A lot of tropes are there because they started as people's attempts to deal with a world that a lot of times I think felt kind of scary, kind of chaotic. You know, the X-Men was a reflection of the civil rights thing. I think Captain America was basically about, oh, we've got to be this strong and maybe this brutal to take on totalitarianism. So um, those tropes then become part of the way that we look at the world, but then they also end up being lacking. Oh, they left out this part of society. They left out these people. So as you get older and look at them again, you go, oh, I want to look into the, the parts of the world that those original comics didn't fill out. And especially with minor threats, what happens to these low-level villains um, in between the issues? They have to still pay electric bills. They, they want to be in love. They want to have a nice place to live. And as Jordan said, how do you sustain that? So, you know, anything that you love, anything you truly love, you will end up going, oh, but why didn't it do this? Why did it fall short there? And that's where you always end up uh, doing some of your best work, I think. Interesting. Um, yeah. Scott, let's talk about designing some of these characters and, you know, looking at... Actually, let's skip over Scott really quick. All right. yeah, also, I, I really love... No, sorry, go ahead. Can we, can, so we put up the, can we put up the slide with some of the art? Um, Scott, let's talk about this, uh, these minor threats characters, which, again, like, the, it feels like for many of them the jumping-off point is sort of existing or classic characters, at least character tropes. How do you start to make these your own? Uh, well, I, the script and the character designs, the character descriptions that uh, Patton and Jordan had already sculpted were pretty, were pretty thorough and had, like, a lot of personality built in. Uh, but don't, the world don't sell yourself short, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. All right. I, I, I soft-pedal the, the compliment. Right. The, the world has so many... It's a whole world, and we have five main characters and, uh, you know, seven or eight sort of background people described in the script, but there's, there's, like, just as we saw, that prison yard has dozens of people. There's a bar that is populated by a whole community of, of like, low-level thugs and, and hoodlums. Every time they walk down the street, there's a whole, there's a whole uh, pantheon of what this world... It's, I, I try and pretend like this place has been around for as long as any of the Marvel or DC Universe stuff. So there's, there's people who have been the has-been already. There's like wars that have happened. There's giant cataclysmic events that have come and gone. There's, you know, a history of what our superheroes have already done to themselves and to the, to the culture that they live in. So I try and imply as much of that baggage as possible. Uh, and in doing so, it's like you just let your... I mean, it's, the floodgates can just open. You can, like, literally any idea I have, I can find a, you know... I just sort of hand it to the guys and they find ways of plugging in stuff. And maybe it's a background character and maybe it's something that will trigger some idea for them and it'll spin off into some other side story or maybe we never actually touch it. We just... It, it just adds to the, the texture of the, the pages and the story. Which is something I really loved, and, and I was raving to Jordan about this the other day. In fact, that like, there's something I loved about Minor Threats. It's something I love about all the books that you all are doing, that they suggest so much of a world without having to exhaustively tell us everything in that world. We're all such experts already. Like, yeah. we, Even if you aren't a comic book person, you're probably watching TV shows and have read books and have experienced media and stories your whole life. Uh, 
there's an implied uh, connection to the little details you see in the backgrounds of stuff. I, it's, uh, we try not to belabor all the subtleties, uh, and I, it, it just lends, you as the reader are a, probably, your subconscious is going to spin funner, you know, assumptions than we could like ruin by putting on the page and concretely, especially for such small details that are just meant to like fill the room. Uh, so I, I think that it's a, it's a cleaner story, not getting, you know, not tripping over every little, every little detail that comes up. And then if something, you know, it's like planting, uh, planting details in a movie early on, and then they end up paying off down the road, but we're planting stuff. We don't even know, you know, if we'll use it, how we'll use it. Maybe, maybe it's just something that comes and goes. Maybe inspiration strikes two issues down the road or the next miniseries. Someone comes back up and it fits cleanly into an idea that we had. I'm just trying to throw it all. Every, every, every corner I can fit another little nuance in without over-explaining. I'm trying to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it, it's really interesting, though, because the... I'm assuming this is the last job I'll ever have. <laughs> drawing everything. You, know you don't need We're to assume. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I love... Um, I'm sorry. I love being a tyrant. It's the best. <laughs> it's the best. How we get the best work. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. yeah. Fear. Fear, <laughs> fear equals art. Put that on a T-shirt. Yeah. Fear <laughs> equals art. <laughs> Uh, as for like the 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 nature of the characters that we're like sort of drawing from our past, every like our, I I love our book because it's it's taking all of the like kind of annoying like the characters when I was young I would have thought were lame and kind of embarrassing and I didn't understand how how they serve the story I was too young to understand the value of having this kind of pathetic person or like a misanthropic like a someone who can't get over themselves or just a half-witted <laughs> sometimes those are the strongest characters i didn't understand that everyone doesn't need to be the hulk or wolverine uh but it's the, it's those like kind of broken little characters that are you know a lens in front of anything can make uh something into a renaissance painting you know it's and it's a funner job i think to take something easily overlooked and make it memorable um, I, I love hearing about this way into the story and finding your way into the world that you're creating. And let's talk about that for Christopher Chaos first. Um, what was the impetus for this story? How did you find your way in? And then how did you start to set the boundaries for this character? So it was, uh, so this whole project, it started with a title, uh, which is a <laughs> weird place to start. Uh, I wrote a short story uh, when I was a... Uh, junior in uh in high like uh, not in high school a junior in college while i was in a class uh by my uh, a fiction workshop with my teacher at the time scott snyder uh who was uh at that point just a short story author uh he had never written any comics at the time uh and he uh like he guided me towards this version of like it was a weird YA story where it was about a young mad scientist who was like actually evil and just actually doing really, really horrific things, but everything around him was very like uh, childlike and elevated, and it was just like me playing with that kind of dissonance. But it was like it was pretty brutal. I get like upset a few of the people in the class with it. Um, and but I I had the title "The Oddly Pedestrian Life of Christopher Chaos," and I had the name Christopher Chaos, and I just played with it over and over and over uh, for years in different ways of how to bring this character to life. Uh, and it was a few years ago when I had the opportunity to produce a few new comic series that I knew I was actually going to have the development time uh, to do it right. And I wanted to do this longer form uh, concept, uh, but I didn't have time to write it on my own. But thankfully, at the time, uh, I had been working on House of Slaughter, a spinoff of my Something is Killing the Children series, thank you very much, uh, <laughs> with Tate Bromble. And uh, the thing that I loved about working with Tate is that he worked very similarly to me, where it was just like I would throw him a, a raw idea, and then he would just throw me, like, document after document of, like, and long emails and, like, long text threads about, like, everything he was thinking about it, which is very much how I was working 
working at the start of my career. And it was just like, and I just, we started throwing ideas back and forth and back and forth, uh, hitting on is just like, okay, this is how we can expand the world. And this is we can how we can do this story right and uh, do it justice. Uh, and this is, you know, the world of Christopher Chaos is, uh, it's a world of horror and monsters and mad scientists. And it is uh, a world where all of the monsters have been sort of hidden away from society for years. And the, the monsters have lost. They have just like, the, they've been almost eliminated. They've been forced out into the shadows. And this is a new generation of monsters suddenly realizing like, no, let's come out of the shadows. Let's actually be ourselves and uh, find power in that. Uh, and, you know, Tate is the one who took all of that and then brought Christopher to life. So, Tate, how do you start to draw the parameters of this world? And, and you know, what is, what is allowed in Christopher Chaos's world? What is not allowed? You know, what fits the tropes? What doesn't? Yeah, the world is pretty massive. We kind of, um, James gave me the raw idea, and I went away for a couple months and read a bunch of the classic horror books, like Shelley's Frankenstein, Stoker's Dracula, um, I developed a Bible document and kind of started fleshing out the world and all the characters based on all of that. Um, so like in this universe, uh, Shelley's Frankenstein, the book exists and the monster exists. And that story was never supposed to get out. Um, so we kind of built from there uh, where there's a long history. It takes place across like horror history is the real history of this world. Um, Adam Frankenstein, who's actually in that panel. Oh, wait, it's not on the screen anymore. Um, there was a panel. Adam Frankenstein is in it. He's a, he's a major character in the book. Um, but now, we, it's, now it's, that's the old generation who lost, and they've been dying out. And now there's a new generation who um, our book focuses on Christopher. Who, uh, so there is a massive scope to this world. That goes back like hundreds of years. Um, and we fleshed all of that out. And it took me a while... There was a point where James was like, cool, you wrote this 20-page Bible document about the world. Like, where's Christopher? Like, you are, what, he is, he's in the title. He's <laughs> yeah, important. Yeah. Um, so then I was trying to figure out how to make Christopher click. And as I was developing the story, I realized, like, I had a lot of, I was not even on purpose, just, like, pulling a lot from my own experiences and, like, my own life um, growing up, like, through high school. Um, and I realized... I should just like start putting more of myself into the character, mm-hmm. and that's like when he clicked. And suddenly, um, like the first issue is just Christopher's origin story in a way, um, where the entire world, like even the scope, might not be clear. But we wanted to make sure everyone knew who Christopher was and fell in love with Christopher. So that, and then each issue gets bigger and bigger from there. That's great. Yeah. Um, Jeff, a similar question, you know, when beginning the Black Hammer universe, did you start off saying, I want to create a superhero universe, or did you say, I have this other story to tell, and this is the best means to do it? Yeah, I, I, I didn't think it would be a universe, you know, I, I, I just had that one story of these, like, five or six kind of superheroes who were sort of exiled from their continuity and living on a farm together and trying to, you know integrate themselves into small town life and that's kind of what it was and then um obviously like these guys said you kind of allude to the whole universe that they've left behind so you're slowly slowly kind of laying down pieces uh and then the honest truth is our my artist dean ormston got sick for a while so we needed to have some fill-in artists (laughs) but i I didn't want the fill-in artists to do any of the farm Mm storyline because that was dean so i did these like one-offs of uh, Sherlock Frankenstein and uh, these other, and it's like, oh, that was fun. And then it's like you start opening doors to tell the other stories, and it, it just kind of, and then I couldn't stop myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You get to you get excited about these new characters. Yeah, well, you realize, like you said, there's all these this whole history of superhero comics that I've loved since I was a kid that goes back decades that I can kind of pull everything I love and just do my take on it. It's kind of limitless and yeah. a dream come true really is that people will pay me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all feel like we're getting away with something when we yeah. write this. Um, I want to make sure we have time for questions from you all. Do you have questions? Yes? All right. There are microphones here. Um, Jordan, Patton, Scott, what can you tell us about uh, the future of Minor Threats? Well, we're just trying to copy Jeff, basically. I get it. Uh, this is, we have a book coming out called uh, The Alternates, uh, uh, that was an idea Tim Seeley brought us that we mm-hmm. developed with him, uh, which is our take on kind of the C-list heroes that were modeled a little bit after the the Vertigo characters. If you know your DC history, 
you know, Swamp Thing, Animal Man, Animal Man, and Doom Patrol were these very kind of silly characters that were dragged into uh, Vertigo comics, and suddenly, you know, they were Alan Moore stories and stuff. So we liked the idea of what if we had similar heroes who were pulled into a world where where they became adult comics and gods and went on weird adventures and like uh, esoteric adventure stuff, and then were brought back to their two dimensional world. And we're like, wait, I'm supposed to go fight crime now and be a dad and this that. So they they create a support group. And do you wanna, uh, just while we have the the uh, art up, do you want to talk about the the swamp thing uh, analog? Oh, uh, you want to talk about crime? <laughs> well, um, our, we have a character uh, called Crab Louie. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. We we love writing and. Um, <laughs> In uh, in his in the in the two D Zipatone world, he was just a hero, Crab Louie, that fought crime with his claws of justice. And then he is expanded, much like Alan Moore expanded the Swamp Thing, to that he is basically in touch with the worldwide crustacean arachnid net, and has his mind uh, and soul expanded uh, to where he is literally almost a driver of, of a part of the world, and then it's back to fighting his crappy uh, rogues gallery, and it's just, uh, he, the, the hangover and whiplash from it are, are driving him insane, basically. <laughs> yeah. And that's art uh, from Christopher Mitten, and Tess oh. Fowler is doing the Vertigo World kind of uh, right. flash. T- Tess Fowler, who did the alt cover for issue four of Minor Threats, which, when I saw it, I immediately purchased it. Uh, that's uh, in the middle. That's uh, Playtime. Tending bar. That's mine. I bought it. Um, but yeah, so we, so her and Mitten together, and and Mitten really uh, leans into the the whiplash off of her. It, it really creates. We've been you know looking at the pages, and the effect on the reader is pretty fantastic. Um, do you know when Alternates is is coming out? You can pre-order it now, and it comes out in September. And I wish I had the exact day. We don't have the exact date yet. All right, great. Um, and Jeff, what is the future of the Black Hammer universe? What's, we expect more things, right? Yeah, uh, we're doing. Uh, we have a series launching in a couple of months called Black Hammer: The End, which is uh, Malachi Ward's doing the art, and it's sort of the. It's kind of the culmination of all the stories I've done so far in Black Hammer. You know, it, it draws characters from every miniseries and all the different parts of the world into one sort of event. Uh, you know finale sort of of the universe and it, and then coming out of that um i kind of looked for ways to i'm looking for ways to sort of almost like a fresh start a new kind of angle on the universe uh so i'm, I'm starting to write a new series now that'll be really different from any of the other black camera stuff but set in that world oh that's great yeah. i can expect there are going to be 52 new titles <laughs> 74 new titles wow. <laughs> absolutely all um, launching the same month. <laughs> <laughs> um, and again, do we know when the end is, is coming out? I think it's August. I think okay. it starts. Whoa. Let's get I think. It. I might be totally wrong. <laughs> but because, soon. Because, yeah, it's soon. Right. Yeah. Great. Um, and, and James, um, wh- is there more to Christopher Chaos? Like, this suggests yeah. what you guys talk about, Tate, is like, there's a world here. Yes. I know you only had just had the first issue come out, <laughs> but we want more. Well, the, the exciting thing is is that uh, the, the first issue went over so well that we had some big conversations with Dark Horse, and we made the decision to make it a true ongoing series. Oh, so going right from the end of what was going to be the end of the first miniseries, we were going to go, we are now going directly from issue six into issue seven. Uh, and then we will do eight, nine, ten. <laughs> like, we're already working on nine right now. Uh, so it's just like we are like we're building a world here. We want this to be like we want to get to all the stories in our heads uh, about it. Like we've been talking about things that might not happen for two years. So please buy our comic book so you, you, like we can <laughs> tell you those stories. Uh, and on top of that, there there's lots of potential to expand the world beyond the title. But right now we're like by doing uh, the the ongoing thing, we're gonna have interstitial issues that. Uh, you know, play play off different stories in uh, certain ways, and like we brought up uh, the original Frankenstein monster, Adam Frankenstein is a central character of this story, and issues seven and eight are going to tell the retell the uh, story of Frankenstein as a you know queer romance in uh, <laughs> set in this world. So please uh, please check it out; it's really really good. Uh, I 
I think they're some of my favorite scripts that I've ever read from Tate. And uh, we have Suli uh, joining on art, and then uh, Isaac Goodart, our main uh, artist, is already working on Nine, and Nick Robles is designing all of the characters of Year Two, and it's just like we're having fun. Uh, so yeah, please, please keep reading. That's very exciting. Uh, all right, let's get to your questions. Right. So when you're creating new worlds for the, with the intention of like paying homage or deconstructing existing tropes, have you ever had moments where you were like, oh, what I'm doing is just way too close to something that already exists? Like, oh, no, I accidentally recreated Lobo or Blood Wolf, as it were. <laughs> I'm always accidentally recreating Lobo. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like it's always daunting, but honestly, like that was something that hit me a lot harder working in like mainstream superhero comics, where it's just like you know I, I wrote over two hundred issues of various Batman comics, and it's just like at a certain point, it's just like oh god, what have I like? What can I do that hasn't been done a hundred times before? Uh, and really, you have to just lean into what like you get excited about in the moment uh and you know trying to express something honestly from yourself like it's rarely the idea itself it's why you want to tell the idea and the why you want to tell the idea is usually pretty unique to you as a creator you also have to get over the anxiety of that and know that a lot of the stuff that is influencing you was influenced by something else taxi driver is a remake of the searchers the the basic plot of uh, minor Threats is kind of uh, uh, Fritz Lang's M. So, you know, we, you, you use that as a jumping off point and worry more how it's about it rather than what it's about. Hmm. I, I'm curious about this from a design standpoint, too, Scott. Like, how, how close is too close? Uh, well, I mean... The the thing about being a comic book artist is like every time someone draws Superman, it's a different design. Mm. So the, it's almost impossible. Like I, obviously, you can't uh, put an S on someone's what happened there. Put an S on someone's chest, but uh, it it's more in the 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 acting of the character. I let them sort of like live out a little bit in the design phase and like try and like find their personality by drawing them, drawing them a couple times and then change the costume to that and like have ideas on their power sets and like how that expresses itself. So maybe it'll start as a blood wolf, but then I'll sort of like have them an idea for a type of uh, effects that I want to draw and that will spring into some other sort of power idea and that'll turn. Now he needs a different type of glove and his hair is this color because of X, Y, and Z. Like I just, those things end up being just a starting point. Uh, and you can't help but even even like mainstay characters look wildly different 20 years later anyway. The Green Lantern or the Flash or anybody. Uh, I really like just letting them grow. Every time characters show up in our book, I'm trying to like redesign them a little bit, you know? And James was saying earlier about how the art influenced the writing of Something is Killing the Children. We had a similar thing with Scott where some of his art influenced and changed the way that we um, kind of executed these characters. I, I remember when I saw the first sketches of Brain Tease, I realized, oh, this is an even more desperate and pathetic character than we actually wrote him. There is something so sad about how neat he's kept his costume, even though he's no longer really in shape and probably shouldn't be wearing it, and he's clinging to the pat and, and like it just changed the way we wrote him. And also, you drew in characters that we are now obsessed with that we didn't write. For instance, uh, the uh, shit eater, the punk rock <laughs> mutant fly that we don't think we're not doing a Softy Brothers co- style spinoff just about him. You will all know shit eater. Yeah, you will all know shit eater. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm obsessed with. Is it Sergeant Mummy? Uh, uh, name? Major Mummy. Major Mummy. Yeah. That went, like, immediately an iconic <laughs> character from the first page he's on. And all we did, we wrote down the words Major Mummy, and we didn't know what he would do with it, and Scott just went so, to town. There was uh, one of the longest design phases was on Major Mummy, because I had him <laughs> as a corporal, and they're like, no, that's not, he's a major. No, 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 he's a major. He was, like, a lieutenant, <laughs> yeah. and he had, like, a, the wrong hat yeah. or whatever. <laughs> and we and we're very sensitive to stolen valor. Like, we did not want any angry letters, so we made sure. He's, he did his time. Let me ask along those lines, uh, James and Tate, in, in working with artists on this stuff, 
Like, you guys worked, you did so much work over the years on this, clearly created the Bible, all that stuff. When it was time to start working with the artist, what was that communication process like? What was the discovery process like? Um, I've, like, become best friends with Nick and Isaac, who are the... Nick designed the characters, does the covers, and Isaac is the interior artist. I now text them, like, every day. So it is, like, a very nice relationship. We're just friends now. Um, I know. They came out to New York for the launch and, like, (laughs) went boxing together. It was Yeah. Yeah. Um, they sometimes send me, please stop sending me texts, but it's fine. Um, but yeah, no, it, so we worked really closely, especially on the design for Christopher. Uh, me and Nick uh, went back and forth a lot on him, just nailing him down and making it like as simple as, and iconic as possible. Um, and then he was always surprising all of us, too. Um, and he'd always come up with new ideas, and like, wow, we can now make merch out of that, because you are so smart. Um, but... Yeah, no, it's really, uh, with Isaac, um, he just has such an imagination, um, and he just, so much of the world, all the texture is from him. Like, I had, like, random ideas for the city, but he just, like, created, like, a whole universe. Um, yeah, we we talk a lot. Um, we do a lot of video calls and go through, like, scripts together and pages together. Um, so it's, like, a really, it's a great collaboration, yeah. That's great. And, and Jeff, along the same lines, you know, you are a writer-artist, but when you are working as a writer and you're working with an artist, tell me about that process. Um, well, I think I'm lucky. I get to draw every day, too, so I don't feel the need to give, <laughs> give a lot of art direction or over, kind of overwrite the scripts for the artist. I give them a lot of freedom. Just knowing the more freedom I have when I'm drawing, the better the work is. So, um, you know, in the case of Black Hammer, I had drawn all those characters about a decade before the actual Black Hammer comic. Oh, really? Myself, I was, it was something I was going to do myself, like write and draw. It was, and I had to choose between doing that and Sweet Tooth, and I chose wisely, I think. But um, So Dean Ormston had those original designs of mine and then kind of just used them as a jumping-off point and made them much different and much better. But it, So I guess there was a little bit of that. Was it. there stuff you discovered about those characters through as he took that art and made it his own? Well, I think it was more his, uh, not so much designs or things like that, but more his, he, his, his artwork. Like, he came from Vertigo Comics doing horror comics. So what I found interesting about him doing Black Hammer would be someone who didn't really have a superhero style, mm. interpreting superhero ideas, would give it a different angle, you know? And so he kind of approached things from a bit of a horror uh, aesthetic, but through the superhero world, and then I think we kind of built on that a bit as yeah. we went on. That totally makes sense. Um, yeah, question. Oh. Hi. Um, so when you're finishing a long series, um, it seems to be with a lot of uh, independent comics, you don't have that kind of triumph- triumphant em- ending that you always have or some kind of like world shift that you know the story's going to continue. Um, what kind of feeling are you trying to convey to the reader afterwards? Personally, I end up being uh, feeling very existential after a Jeff Lemaire reading. <laughs> are you trying to end all of their series already? <laughs> Just started. Uh, let's talk about endings. Like, when you enter into this, do you start thinking about an ending? I mean, Jeff, your, your next Black Hammer series is called The End. Yeah. Um, I usually have my ending when I start something. For sure, it's kind of... I usually have, like, a little journey or an emotional arc, so I know the end of the books. Um, I kind of always knew where the initial Black Hammer farm story would end, you know? But then it grew so much as I was doing it. It branched off into so many different directions, you know? And I think this, the end, will be sort of, you know... The the universe got so big, (laughs) so many spinoffs and stuff. This was almost me taking all that and shrinking it back down, right? So that's kind of what I'm trying to do with this series, to make it really small again so that I can just do one book. (laughs) Sure. Um, Patton and Jordan, do you think about, you know, as you think about the scope of the world that you're building, you know, like, endings are built in often to comic book universes as are re-beginnings. Is that stuff you guys talked about? No. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. uh, We, uh, you know, for Minor Threats, we didn't know if we'd get to do more. Yeah. So we had to have an ending, even though we knew the story would continue. So we wanted to give you this experience that if you read all four issues, you feel like you got a full 
story yeah. that was really Frankie's story, her arc. And We've also become very comfortable working on MODOK together and now um, Minor Threats that as you write the story, an end that you might have in mind, you will realize is not the, oh, there's a better ending that will reveal itself as you write. So a lot of times we're, we're very comfortable going into things not exactly knowing what the ending's going to be. Our endings have changed a couple of times, always for the better. And a lot, of the, a lot of times you figure out what you're going to write when you start writing. Yeah, I think no. TV prepares you for that. We thought we'd have multiple seasons of Moda, So we did horrible things to them at the end of uh, season one. And was... we... <laughs> yeah. so. um, James and Tate, you guys are telling a... a very, you know, specific story about a specific character. His name is in the title. Do you have in mind a journey for this character? How much do you leave yourself open to that kind of discovery that, that Patton's been talking about? There's a lot of room for discovery. And I mean, like, this is sort of how, how I build all of my creator-owned books at this point is I, I always like working, like, I, I always have a compass. Like, the compass is always pointing in a clear direction, but the, you know, the destination changes. Like, I, and I am uh, always willing to change the direction because, like, like, all the reasons that were just said. Like, uh, this, like, I wanted to build the world, uh, like, with Tate, and this is the same thing that happened with something is killing the children and all of that, but you figure out like new things and new characters and new like side roads that you want to go down. And then you find out that like something that used to be very crucial to an early version of the plot actually doesn't really matter to any of the characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then you just like, it's a very freeing moment where you just like pull that out of there uh, and just allow the story to really dictate itself and allow the characters to dictate the story itself. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Question. Okay, so this is sort of a silly question, maybe, but... Nonsense. I'm an aspiring writer. Um, I have a few stories done, but have you ever had the experience in your writing where you had an idea that rolled around in your head for a really long time, (laughs) and then you had trouble getting that story started on paper? And if you've had this kind of issue before, what was your impetus or your catalyst that helped you to get past that and helped you to actually put fingers to keyboard and start doing it? This is a great question. Let's get into craft. I love it. Uh, Well, I I can just tell you just from personal experience, I've also had that problem, and I I promise you, the first time you actually push through and just start writing, like I said earlier, the process of writing will start to then reveal more of what you're supposed to be writing, but it's going to have to be that initial push and leap, and once you do it once, a lot of that fear will go away forever, but you've got to push through that first time, and it's hard, and it's really frustrating. But if you force yourself to it, you might not even end up writing the thing you set out to write. If you just follow it, and you, you sit down and go, for these hours, I'm going to do it, mm-hmm. it could lead elsewhere, or you finally get it out or you break through or you get to a certain point you get stuck you go on a walk change of scenery is always the biggest thing yeah you know what's also a good strategy don't sit there and go gotta write eight hours a day literally at first set aside one hour and nine hours a day (laughs) (laughs) but think of it okay fine you win um think of it as this is the only hour i get to write in and then when that hour is up no matter how and a lot of times if you, if you end midway through an amazing scene, mm-hmm. stop there because of the next day you're like, ooh, I can't wait to get back into that. Like, again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah okay. I think there's, there's not a week that goes by or whatever where I'm working where I don't have a moment like that where like, oh, I don't really you know, feel like doing this today or I don't know what it's going to be. You know? And mm-hmm. the thing that always pushes me through, like Patton was saying, is just the thought of, well, just write something, at least even if it's crap, at least it yeah. gives you something to work with. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. And it's better than nothing. <laughs> Yeah. And usually, like you said, as soon as you start, then you just it starts. The more you write, the the more you know confident you get. More naturally, it, it flows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's not exactly the same drawing, but I often find myself I don't have a good look on this page. I like I can't see a cool version of this, but I've got to hurry up and do the bad one so that I can <laughs> yep. start to see the good. Yeah. Too, and then you, you can't edit it. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So just yeah. write the bad one. 
Okay, I'll and, start with writing the bad one. Yeah. 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 My, wife is a, my wife's an artist, and yeah. she has this poster over her desk that says, make something today even if it sucks. You know, it's, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Thank and you and by the way, if all this yeah. advice fails, just do it out of spite against yeah. your enemies. Yeah, yeah. pure spite. <laughs> think of someone that you hate, and then think of them being crushed hearing about your success, and let that fuel yep. you, all right? Yep. You'll be amazed at what spite will do. <laughs> I love it. It's a great question. Yeah. Um, let me ask along those same lines, um, you know, we're lucky to get to write and draw and tell stories for a living, um, and it can be hard. You know, as we've just discussed, like, it can be really hard sometimes. Um, What's the fun part for you? What's the fun part of the process for you? Uh, where do you get excited? Where do you feel like, yeah, I'm lucky to do this? James, why don't you start? It's like when the art starts coming in. Um, I love comic book art. I love it more than anything else. I've built a life where uh, my inbox is constantly filled with my favorite artists sending me pages like based on characters that I like, helped cook up with them. And I'm just like awestruck every single time. And now I'm in a place where I can like buy some of those pages from them and then I pull them up mm-hmm. on my walls around me. Like this is... This is the dream. Like, I have wanted to make comics my entire life. And uh, now I get to do that. And it's just like the, the joy of that is just like, un, like unspeakable. Uh, and, you know, like, especially now, like, you know, I, I spent my years in the grind and like more corporate superhero comics where sometimes it's just like there's a lot of politics, like uh, internal, like corporate politics that you have to deal with that you know that now I don't have to deal with I just make my own little worlds and then I like it's like hey like we want to do this comic and they're like yeah and it's great I love it I just like making cool stuff (laughs) and it sounds like your favorite part of writing is after the writing is done Uh, I mean like I also love like getting lost like I mean the best feeling in the world is when you like start writing and then all of a sudden you look at the clock and four hours have passed and then it's like this like beautiful thing in front of you that you didn't know that you had in you when you sat down that day that doesn't happen every day but the few times that it does it's just like you chase that for the next three months <laughs> for sure hey what about you yeah the joy for me again also comes from the artwork it's just like seeing something you helped create just come to life especially through like someone else's eyes and what they bring to it yeah. is just like beautiful um i also like for me i love the collaboration i love um getting in a room with my peers and just like jamming and coming up with ideas. We did like a chaos summit, we called it, where we just started throwing out as many ideas as we could. And it's just, it's so fun. And you like, everyone's eyes light up. There's like a little sparkle. It's just, it's like, it's the best. Um, so all of that stuff is probably some of my favorite stuff. All the friends I've made is all along the way. It's nice. um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's the artwork. It's um, just creating yeah. these beautiful babies with other people. And, and really I nice. think part of the fun of comics too is like the there are so few people involved, right? Yeah. The collaboration is very close with the people you're making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jeff, what's, what's the fun for you? I, well, it's, it's like hard to just repeat everything James said, but I mean, I've been obsessed with comics since I was five years old or whatever, so the, the fact that I get to wake up every morning and make them is still a thrill and uh, something I try not to take for granted, you know? I mean, there's obviously you have bad days and whatever, but um, at the end of the day, if if the 10 year old me knew that I was doing what I was doing every day, I would be so excited to get old. (laughs) (laughs) Scott. I I love drawing so much. I just like, it's all I want to do. And to spend as long as I did being terrible at it, which is a long time. I'm not a natural anything. (laughs) So the, those 10,000 hours were probably more like 20,000 hours. (laughs) And, you know, you just, the incremental growth is just excruciating sometimes because you know you want it to be cool. You want it to be so much better, like, but you can't, it's another five years before you're going to be able to quite make your brain work in a way that can get you the output that you really wanted. So to be over a threshold where I can at least say, I'm a professional this, I, I really am doing this. Uh, is definitely satisfied. I still think I'm about 50% as good as I need to be. Uh, that 
felt the silence. I, that's, <laughs> <laughs> you all agree. I get it. Uh, there's so much more. Like, you could spend 10 lifetimes and still not be as good as you want to be at, at drawing. Uh, but it's just uh, to, f- to get little pieces that actually turn out every once in a while, is, it uh, just makes it all worth it. I think um, the key thing there is for writing and drawing, for me as well, I'm sure with everyone, seeing yourself get better mm-hmm. at it, even now at age 47, and I'm still doing things that are better than, than I did last year, you know, and that, and that keeps you going and it keeps you excited. Absolutely. Um, we have about 10 minutes, so Jordan and Pat, I want to hear your answers to these questions, and then we're going to take these last two questions, so uh, go ahead. Best part for me is getting those big old checks in the mail. Yeah, man. <laughs> uh, no, uh, it, it's obviously seeing Scott's art. It's, it's yeah. that we came up with something, like a kernel of an idea, and then he ran with it and made something incredible with Even it. Even only at 50%? Yeah. 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 I'm just going to repeat what James said, uh, those six words. I get to make cool stuff. It's the best thing in the world. Yeah. There's nothing better. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for being here. I'm Kara. Based on that question, like if this didn't pan out for you, what was the backup plan? Nuclear power plant. Professional (laughs) hockey player. (laughs) Bounty hunter. (laughs) There's still time for you. Yeah, yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, like I probably... I would like I had an advertising job out of college. I probably would just be working in advertising. I hate that that's the answer. <laughs> I guess everything going on in the entertainment industry, I'm starting to ask that question again. <laughs> uh, so I don't know, culinary school seems good. Yeah, yeah. Bus driver feels really solid right now. Yeah, I had I had no I had no backups. I I like ever since I was a kid, I've just loved telling stories. I didn't know how they take shape, and I loved comics. Um, so it went in that direction. But yeah, I had no backups. So homeless. So. Yeah, I would. I would. I would. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. So my question is based on a patent bit from one of his specials where he said. If he went to the White House and said, I want a Green Lantern ring, he'd get kicked out. Mm -hmm. So my question for everyone is, if the U.S. government said, all right, we will make an item from a comic book come to life, what item would you choose? Damn. (laughs) Amazing question. (laughs) Unfortunately, we have plenty of time. (laughs) Can I say Giganta? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you have a type. Go. Anyone else? Oh, want I... that one? <laughs> Seriously, someone else answer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to. I think that's a great question, though. Thank you. No. Uh, he nailed it. We're not going to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to beat the Green Lantern ring. You can do yeah. literally whatever you want with that, like yeah. forever. Like, yeah. <laughs> but do you have the willpower for it? Uh, I sure hope so. <laughs> Are you scared of yellow? <laughs> spider buggy. Deadly. Deadly. The spider, spider buggy. buggy. <laughs> totally. We live in L.A. Like, the traffic is... <laughs> Be good. <Yep. laughs> there aren't any buildings. <laughs> I'll only go downtown and... Right, and Century. You're right. You're right. I don't, I'm not here to be the logic police. Ooh, uh, thanks, Ben. <laughs> Let me ask you, as we wrap up, um, what are you all reading these days? What comics are you loving that are uh, new and exciting to you? But also, um, what is stuff that you loved, you know, growing up or even in the past few years that you feel like maybe got overlooked or that you just really want to enthusiastically uh, talk about? Before we do that, let's plug these books one more time. Uh, Patton, Jordan, and Scott, tell us why people should buy Minor Threats. Uh, because it is a uh, non-stop plunge into a noir world of C-level supervillains uh, scrambling to stay alive. And it never lets up. And you'll pay for the whole seat, but you only use the edge. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying. Look, I'm trying, people. I'm, I'm hungry. I need a snack. And volume one is out now in trade yeah. paperback. Yeah. Um, Jeff, you've got a bunch of books out, but tell us specifically about this upcoming um, Black Hammer book, The End. What's, what's the hook? Why should people get into this? Uh, God, I don't know. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it's it's the culmination. If you've been reading Black Hammer, this is it. This is the culmination of everything, literally, that I've done into this one story. And it's kind of my love letter to, you know, uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths and Secret Wars and all those original comic book events from the 80s that I loved as a kid. Um, yeah. But also, if you haven't picked up Volume 1 of Black Hammer, go pick up Volume yeah. 1 of Black Hammer because it's one of the best superhero comics of the last 20 years. Like, just go pick up this book. You will not regret it. Endlessly uh, rewarding yeah. rereads. We Endlessly wouldn't be on the stage. We read yeah. it and we're like, we want to do what he does. Like, Absolutely not. Yeah. No him, no us. And also, Patton wrote a Black Hammer story, so you should find that. I did. <laughs> it's my little, no- it's, it's my nod to what. It's right there. Uh, yeah, what Dan Klaus's world would look like in the Black Hammer universe, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's all great. Um, and and uh, guys, the Christopher Cass book is so good. Um, so I'm going to plug it for you, but I want to hear your take on it. <laughs> that first issue is exciting, and like I didn't know this is the book I was missing from my life, but I really loved it. Tell them in in a coherent way why they should buy it. It's awesome. The last panel alone is it's yes. oh, so good. Uh, this is the story of a teenage mad scientist who has never felt uh, his place in the world, and it's a story of him finding this world of monsters and this history of monsters that gives himself definition and uh, helps him find his way and grow up. Uh, and it's also like it's a. The cast of characters is just incredible. We're bringing in the original Frankenstein monster. Dracula's coming down the road. Like, we are just having fun here. And if you are a horror nerd, like, every one of my stories, I I try to lean into, like, what is the lore that I'm kind of tapping into? I do a book called Department of Truth that's, like, uh, conspiracy theory stuff. I do, uh, like, my a new series, like, World Tree is, like, all of my cyberpunk uh, influences and all of that. But this is the history of the horror genre through a queer lens, through a kind of, like, a superhero-adjacent lens. It is a big world. Please buy our book. <laughs> they, they have hundreds of issues planned. You got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, all right, very quickly, let's hear what you, anything you want to recommend these days. What are you loving? Uh, and James, let's start with you and just go down the line. Oh, boy. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, going over the last few years, I am always awestruck every time I read an Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips comic. Yeah. Uh, they're just, like, they, they, they're they so remarkably good that it, like, it, it's almost like, you know, they, they come out so often that it's just, like, it, <laughs> it's hard to, like, every year I'm just like, no, 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 yeah, whatever they did is, like, number one and two on my list, mm-hmm. and then there's everything else, uh, and it just makes me want to be a better writer. Yeah. Uh, and specifically, and then on top of that, also what Ed uh, has been doing with Marcos Martin, uh, uh, Friday, which is just a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Uh, yeah, and then... That's a good answer. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. I've been on like a huge manga binge, so I've been Chainsaw Man has taken over my life, of course. Um, <laughs> Chojin X I just started, which is from the creator of Tokyo Ghoul. Um, so I've been reading a lot of that. Um, yeah. Is there a gateway? Like, can I just jump into Chainsaw Man? Oh my god, yeah. yeah, just yeah. The, and yeah. please do. It yeah. is like it's just yeah, pure yeah. id. It is pure. Yeah. Like it, it is about like a horny teenager who turns into a monster with a chainsaw head. Who like it is great. It is just a great comic book. Right. It is like what's been missing from like a lot of like mainstream superhero comics where it's just like this is a comic that if you're a teenager your parents are going to be upset with you for reading. <laughs> uh, it's like violent and like beautiful. I love, love it. it. I'm in. Jeff, what are you reading? <laughs> Uh, I go. I just keep reading everything I read when I was a kid. <laughs> really? <laughs> I don't read a lot of new stuff. I love James's stuff. It's, what What uh, were some of those as a kid that that uh, still get you excited? The stuff I keep going back to is the like the original Vertigo stuff. You know, I, I just every five or ten years I have to reread all that stuff again. It's so formative for me. You know, so uh, that stuff. But new stuff. I'm always following uh, Tilly Walden as a cartoonist who I just adore. I think Absolutely. they're doing great stuff. And uh, I don't know, gosh, I'm drawing a blank, but you know, it's uh, These are good answers. It's a good time to read comics because there's just yeah. so much good stuff. On. There's a breadth of good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Scott? Yeah, I hate these questions. I can never think of the thing that it's right in front of me every day when asked this question, but Have you, have you watched a movie lately? Yeah, exactly. And I, again, I, well, my friend... <laughs> 
A friend not of mine, like Superman. I love Check Superman. Character Superman. Uh, Mother Trucker by Andy Belanger, if you're oh, familiar yeah. with Mother that. Trucker. Uh, Arcade Kings, Dylan Burnett, uh, is a great, it's like Capcom-inspired sort of like uh, teen combat anime sort of, sort of feel. Uh, both of those are great. Uh, I'm sure there's a hundred more that I will, um, I'll remember as soon as I walk out of this no, room. These are, I think you're giving people new stuff to check out. That's great. Uh, Where Monsters Lie by Kyle Starks, which is another Dark Horse book yep. that is about a bunch of kind of movie monster serial killers who all live in a cul-de-sac together. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and like then uh, Local Man by Tim Seeley uh, is a real fun deconstruction of the early 90s image comics. Great. Patton? There is a uh, comic called Garfield, and this cat, <laughs> it's about a cat, and he, the hijinks this cat gets up to, I don't know what is going, it's hilarious. Um, I really follow writers, um, everyone on this panel, I read everything these guys do. There's a writer named Mark Russell who is doing, he's doing some of the darkest, most acidic takes on our current situation and he smuggles them into the goofiest books out there that it takes you a second to realize how hard he's actually coming down and really nailing what is going on in the world. I mean, he, he you know publishes with multiple publishers, but definitely pick up My Bad, Billionaire Island. Um, it, it, there's a new one called uh, Traveling to Mars that is fantastic. I, I cannot recommend his stuff any higher. Mark Russell. Yeah. Uh, and I highly recommend all of the books we've talked about today. Ch- folks, check out Minor Threats. Uh, check out Black Hammer. You can start clapping. This is it. We're done. <laughs> check out Christopher Chaos. Big round of applause for our panelists. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Thank you all for coming out. Thank you.